We're continuing in the book of Matthew with our study on the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we looked at Jesus and how he fulfills the law, how he came to fulfill all of it. And he says that not even one letter, not a comma, would pass from it until it was fulfilled, right? The Old Testament is all about Jesus. So today we're going to look at the first of six examples as Jesus begins to walk through these external behaviors and what it reveals about our heart. So, what do we know about our hearts? Um, Jeremiah 17.9 says this. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, I'm sure we've all experienced this in our own heart and in the hearts of maybe those around us, those that are close to us, right? Our hearts are twisted inward. They're focused on us. It's all about making sure that we get what's best. We get what we want, what we think is rightfully ours. You know, so we're willing to even bend the rules. We're willing to justify um, the things that that we would do wrong in our sin. We're going to do whatever we can to look better in other people's eyes. You know, we look a lot like the Pharisees. We keep score and we compare ourselves to one another. We want to make those rules easier to keep. So, um, I think kids are pretty good at this, and me, sometimes. Um, Think about, like, basketball when you're a real young kid, before you learn, like, a lot of the fundamentals. You know, it's like playing a game, and you pick up the ball, and you kind of run, and they're like, traveling, you're like, traveling doesn't count because dribbling's hard, and... And so, like, it's stuff like that. Like, from, from the youngest age, uh, we do this. And uh, maybe you're playing a board game, and you're like, well, we don't really use that rule because it, like, makes the game harder. And so we just, we don't observe it. Then you have, like, the super rule keepers who are like, oh, in my house, we play by every rule. Um, and then board games cease to become fun. So, um, you know, we're, but we're, we're really good at all of this when we're confronted with things morally, right? Like, some of those things are just, like, little ticky-tack rules in their games, and we don't think it's a big deal. Um, you know, but then these moral things come up, and you're like, well, I was, I mean, I was just driving fast because, like, it's hard to not drive my car fast. Like, it's just, it's a pretty, it's a big engine. Um, it's pretty fast and hugs the turns, so it's got 20s. I don't know. Um, or, or that everyone else was doing it excuse. Like, I was just flowing with traffic. Like, that's why I was going that fast. Like, everybody else did it. Uh, so we justify, right? And then when we get caught, we're pretty upset about it, right? Like, well, I didn't think I was going to get caught, and now I'm mad. Like, that's your fault. You shouldn't have caught me. You know, we talked about last week, um, I think I just skipped something, sorry. I don't want to jump, jump around too much here. So, so we hate getting caught. We don't like to be put in our place. Um, you know, we want justice when other people wrong us, right? We talked about it last week. Pastor Chris said, you know, we want it to fall on the other person. We want swift justice for them, but we demand that we receive grace. And so today, we're going to talk about anger, which is not super fun, which is like pretty intimidating for me um, to come talk about all of you with. But um, I think as we look at the Lord's Word, we'll see uh, what He has to say about it. it brings us hope. Um, and, and ultimately, it, though, it does put us in our place. And we'll get to the good way that that puts us in our place today, I promise. So, um, so don't, don't feel like I'm just trying to, like, make you cower and feel bad about yourself. So, um, Jesus meets this standard of keeping the law that we're not capable of. It's what we saw last week. So today we want to um, look at our, our sin and our salvation and see how he puts us in place with both. First, by reconciling with us with God. 
then with one another, and then with the world, ultimately. So we're in Matthew chapter 5. Um, if you have those gray ESV Bibles in your row, it's on page 690. Uh, if you'll stand with me, we're going to read from God's Word. And if you don't have a Bible um, and you would like to own one, please feel free to take one of those with you. We want you to have God's Word um, to read it and to know it. So all right, let's read verses 21 through 26. It says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and that it's good. And that, it, that it teaches us the ways um, we fall short. But the greater story of your word um, is a savior who can make a way for us to be right with you, who, um, who kept these laws perfectly, who perfectly loves and cares for us and reconciles us to you. So Holy Spirit, move in our hearts um, that we would, um, yeah, we would expose our sin, we would seek forgiveness and find rest in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, you can have a seat. I'll make you stand the whole time that I talk. That'd be terrible. Um, okay, so put in our place with our sin, right? And Jesus is going to begin doing this with the Pharisees um, right off the bat in verse 21. You know, he's just finished up talking about how he's here to fulfill the law and then gives us these examples of the law and the misunderstandings that the people of this time would have had. And he addresses the crowd and he says, you've heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So who are those of old? What is he saying here? Who is he speaking to? Um, it, it may be like tempting to just assume like, well, those of old, like he's talking about Ten Commandments, it must be Moses. Um, but we, we need to look back at, at verse 20 and see where he's coming from first. He said um, in verse 20 that our righteousness should exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. You have heard it said this is this. And he goes on through and talks about anger and all these other sins, um, ways we haven't kept the law. So what he's really saying is the Pharisees have taught this. And what have they taught? He says, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So the Pharisees are teaching this pretty simple minimalistic rule that don't murder someone because you'll have to face a judge, right? Which is like a pretty hefty penalty. Um, it was then, it is now. It's not, it doesn't make, make it that much easier. But it is simple, and it's very external. And this is something we see with the Pharisees. They're continually reducing the law down to rules that they can keep, right? As we talked about last week, um, they're only ex- concerned with external action, the here and now, and that was it. Like, no heart issue at all. No no way to connect that with their hearts. So they're giving a false interpretation of the law. 
But Jesus gives us a more full picture of God's law. So let's look at the first half of verse 22. He says, But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He says, Not only murder will make you liable to judgment of the courts, but anger itself leaves us just as guilty and liable to the judgment of the court in God's eyes. So we're just as accountable because of our anger as we would be had we killed someone. And it won't stop with just the judge. He says, anyone who insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Right? It's serious. This is a spiritual issue. It's not just the, the um, just dealing with the world and the consequences here, but, but spiritual and eternal. So, the law is not meant merely to deal with our external behavior, but the condition of our hearts. Matthew fifteen nineteen says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And we may not get to like these external actions. Most of us probably won't murder someone. But what we can see is that those don't follow from like a heart that just loves Jesus and is like in the word and really in tune with him. It comes from evil thoughts, right? Those are the basis, the foundation. You know, those, that bitterness and resentment and hatred toward other people, it gets murder. You know, it builds over time. We don't confess it, and it leads way to, to greater acts of sin, right? The book of James talks about this. He says, each person is tempted and lured by his own desire, and then desire gives birth to sin, and then sin, fully grown, brings death. So evil thoughts are the foundation for that. And what Jesus is addressing is those evil thoughts of anger with our brothers and sisters in Christ where we would want to destroy them, right? Have them just away from us. But we need to stop for a second and kind of define anger a little bit. Like, not all anger is evil and sinful. Um, We need to understand a little more fully um, what's appropriate and what isn't. So, John Stott, in his commentary on this passage, says this about anger. Not all anger is evil, as is evident from the wrath of God, which is always holy and pure. And even fallen human beings may sometimes feel righteous anger, although being fallen, we should ensure that even this is slow to rise and quick to die down. Injustice and sin, those are things we should be opposed to. You know, we should feel that desire um, when we see that the world's broken. Um... But our wishing ill on other people, our hatred, our disdain towards people, that's what we're trying to address here. It's murderous, right? God's wrath is holy. So we need to be angry about sin and the brokenness apart from Christ, Christ, and have this longing to be made right, that he would come restore things. And John Stott goes on to say in his commentary on this passage that we are to be angry with sin and full of sorrow and compassion for the person. And this is hard work. You know, the Lord is, a, is addressing this in our hearts right here in this passage. That, you know, we definitely shouldn't be angry without cause. But even if we have a cause, I think we need to be careful to examine our hearts. You know, that that anger is slow to rise and that it's quick to die down. You know, we see that our anger is rarely righteous and without sin. It's rarely um, like God's heart, right? Our hearts are hardened to the things of God more often. And they're quick to demand its own way. Chris talked about this last week. He said, we are ever-changing and uncertain. 
You know, God's faithful. He's certain and he's immovable in his ways. But our anger is full of sin and selfishness. And it actually devalues other people's lives. It elevates us above them to say, I'm more important. I'm angry because you wronged me. And we try to lessen them. So what's God's word say about that attitude? Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And we'll probably look at this and think, like, that's appropriate for murder, but what's this have to do with anger? You know, but we see that our anger and hatred are murder in God's eyes, right? We're faced with the reality that our sinful thoughts, our hateful words are ultimately against image-bearing people. And we carry this assumption that we're owed the right to be angry and we're justified in it because someone wronged us. But, But really what's happened is we're responding to this failed attempt to control someone else or to control the world around us. And we want to make them feel responsible and we want to take out our wrath on them because they got in the way of our plans, right? Like when we're cut off in traffic and it's like, that was my lane and you took it. You don't, you don't deserve that lane of traffic. That was for me. It was not enough space. Like what gives you the right? Or a tougher one, maybe politics. You know, the wrong guy gets elected um, the wrong party or on the other side of them. And so we start name calling and tearing them down because we think like somehow we could do a better job and we have all the answers. And Jesus confronts us in this. He says, stop killing these people I made in my image with your hateful, evil thoughts. You know, don't, don't wish them away from this world, right? Did you ever like hear some of these terrible things as a kid? Like, just the I hate you that just like kind of makes you cringe especially now as an adult or the kids that are just like oh I wish you'd never been born like I remember hearing that in like the first grade and I was just like I was terrified I was like that's the most awful thing I've ever heard anyone say um but like we probably don't say those things now I hope but I think that our hearts reflect that oftentimes right our hateful sinful um thoughts toward other people that maybe life would just be better off if they weren't around, right? You know, this is the murder of our hearts. And so we need to deal with this anger. We need to deal with our sin. And so what should we do to deal with anger? Like, do we need 10 deep breaths before we open our mouth so we don't say something dumb? Um, Or like some push-ups? Or maybe a yoga sesh? Uh, I don't mean to pick on yoga. No yoga, no peace. I actually think that's pretty clever if you've seen that place downtown. That's a great name. Um, No, but only the gospel really gives us perspective and puts us in our place with this perceived right to feel angry towards one another. So let's talk about the gospel and our anger. Jesus comes to a broken world humbly, not angry. And he lives a perfect life, and he's free from sinful anger and hatred. He endures shame and injustice, and he dies in our place. You know, what we truly deserve because of our sin is death. And God is settled in his opposition to sin, and he's perfectly angry with it. But his anger is different than ours. You know, this is something I don't think we understand real well, and we have to be very careful to not take the way we feel anger and appropriate that to the way God feels wrath, because it's not the same. You know, we need to look at those as very different things. And we see this in Jesus' life. He doesn't fly off the handle every time someone wrongs him or disagrees with him. He is angry at sin. 
He calls people to repent. But he loves them. And he loves us so well that even when he was betrayed and mocked and beaten, he laid down his life that we might be saved. And then, after his resurrection, he comes to us. And what does he say to his disciples? What does he do? Does he come and and demand that they bow at his feet and apologize for the way that they ran from him, the way they cowered, the way they denied him? Like, no. He comes and tells them, peace be with you. And he shows them his wounds. And he says, this is for you, so that you could be reconciled to the Father. Like, what, what bigger, greater offense can we even see than what Jesus endured for us? And then try to say that we have the right to be angry with our brothers and sisters, right? And we have to learn from our faithful Father how to love one another, how to hate sin, seeing its destructive power over people, but lovingly seek to reconcile with the people in our lives. And why? Because Jesus reconciled us while we were enemies. He bore the curse of our sin, and he gives us strength to do the same. We have to trust that he's going to come right the wrongs of this world, and that he's the one who will make all things new. That this is what he's done for us on the cross. So does Jesus just reconcile us to him, me and Jesus? Is that all it is? Like, now we're good. Jesus saved me. Feeling good about it, right? No, it's not just us. It's not just me and Jesus. Jesus puts us in our place also with the body. Matthew five twenty three and 24 says this, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. We can't approach God thankful for reconciliation of just ourselves. We're reconciled into a body, into a community. We can't just come and be like, thanks for what you've done for me, God, but I'm kind of mad at this person, but like, I'm really glad you saved me, right? Holding on to that. You know, he puts us in place as members of one family. This is the good part of being put in our place, right? We redeem that phrase a little bit, maybe. Um, so we're saved into one family, and Jesus is our peace. So if we don't have one other thing in common, we have the most important thing in common. We all have forgiveness in Christ Jesus, right? So he says, be reconciled to one another. And understand that we need to be reconciled because we already are. It's not this like, yeah, if I don't do it, like, we're never going to experience reconciliation. Like, Jesus already did it. It's done. We need to live out of that, right? We're reconciled by his blood. And that doesn't mean it's easy. But just because something's hard doesn't mean we go and change the requirements, right? This is what we see the Pharisees do. They change God's law and they reduce it so that they can better keep it. We need to look to Jesus, who's perfectly kept all of it and fulfilled all of it. And it's important to note the order of things in verses 23 and 24. You know, does Jesus say, come clean yourselves up and offer me, like, a a really good worship service, and then we'll deal what's going on with you afterward, right? Like, once you get your heart in the right place with all that. No, he says, go to your brother first, just as God came to us first. 
Think how ridiculous it would be to come before the Lord with this heart that's just angry and bitter and then attempting to tell God how thankful we are that he saved us when we're unwilling to reconcile. Consider what it says about us that then we also think we could come to him and clean ourselves up and make ourselves good enough before him and to even before sorry before we go and reconcile with our brothers and sisters right no he says go first so practically i hope this looks like some of us getting up during the gathering to go and just reconcile with a brother and sister you know to greet each other with hands handshakes and hugs during the peace time to offer um just an expression of like peace of christ be with you right to genuinely mean that to seek forgiveness and to repent to one another and i've had the privilege of being on both sides of this and it's beautiful right it's brought me to tears it's like lifted my head in a really dark time um that brothers and sisters can come together and say like i'm sorry like i see that my sin and my anger and my hatred are so small compared to what jesus has gone through that this is trivial in this world, and then to seek to be reconciled with one another, right? And this should lead to a worshipful heart, should lead to us wanting to bring our gift in worship. Prayers of thanks and songs of praise, you know, heart full of joy, that by the blood of Jesus, we have the opportunity to reconcile and be made right with one another. So go to one another first. Let your anger and your evil thoughts be cast out by Christ's love, and reconcile. Right? Romans twelve eighteen says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And this leads us into the next point, which is that Jesus puts us in our place with the world, right? Not only with the body. If we have this reconciliation with God and with one another, we're free to seek peace with all people, even the lost. So let's look at verses twenty five and twenty six. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. This is like very practical. There's not a lot of like deep hidden meaning here. You know, he says, reconcile quickly while we still can. Like, don't wait for the judge to sentence you uh, to give you you know, this huge debt to owe to be put in prison because you're so set on getting your way and defending yourself. He says, seek peace with your adversary by whatever means necessary. This is an opportunity for us as believers to demonstrate how we've been reconciled and to share the hope of the gospel. But it carries risk. It may be costly. We might have to lose, right? But our hope's not in this world. I remember, like, really vividly a couple months back, I was talking to my parents on the phone. Um, and my dad just, my dad's, like, entrepreneur, um, has always owned businesses and, and run his own businesses as long as I can remember. And they're just facing this really tough season in life with the business they own, um, with a franchise. And they were on their way up to a franchise meeting um, and at a point where we were getting ready to close down one of the franchises and things had just not gone well, um, pretty weighty, pretty stressful. And, you know, it's always like, especially as a kid, you're just like, I don't know what to say. Like, I want to 
say something really good that'll like make you feel better and and I had nothing and and then my mom says this over the phone she says pray we would act like people whose hope is in the Lord and I I heard it and I was like yeah yeah definitely yeah I'll definitely pray for you and then like after I got off the phone that was just like lodged in my head and I, I wrote it wrote it down in my like in a journal or notebook or whatever and just I keep coming back to it um, and I thought it was so appropriate for for this place where where God's uh, where Jesus tells us to reconcile with our adversary, right? Pray we would act like people whose hope in the Lord, not not pray that we would get all the things we want out of this, not pray that we win this fight. You know, it was an attitude shaped by Christ and His work secured for us on the cross, so that whether this goes really well or whether this goes south. Pray that we would act like people whose hope is in the Lord. And this echoes back to the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. My hope is in the Lord, if, it, if it's in the Lord. Then I'm not really about getting what's mine and my own agenda. I'll be a, a, about reconciling. I'll be about showing grace, because I've been shown grace. And about glorifying God in whatever I do, even when it means I might lose. So we have to look back to the cross. We have to look at Jesus who is willing to lose everything to bring us back into life with God. You know, God's terms are simple. He says, do it now. Acknowledge your wrong. Confess your sin. Stop justifying and defending yourself. Do everything you can as far as it depends on you. And Jesus gives us this freedom to, to lose well. to be fair, to confess that we messed up, to put away our anger and our deceitful heart that wants to demand its own way and live a life that honors God, that honors his image-bearing creation even in the most difficult of times. And my hope is that, like, it could look like this. So think of maybe when you were a kid, uh, maybe, maybe your dad was, like, just the best basketball player you've ever seen. I always thought mine was, and he's definitely not, but I still think he's, like, really good at it. Uh, but, but like, maybe you were a great athlete in the same way as your father, and somebody's like, man, you are your father's son, like, spitting image, right? Or musician, or your creativity, maybe even your voice, like, God, oh, you sound just like your dad, and hopefully that's a good thing, you know? The tone of your voice, maybe not like the things you say. Um, or just like your mother, right? When we hear that phrase, if we could hear that you're your father's son in regards to us being a believer, how beautiful would that be? Fruit of the gospel change in our hearts that people would, see, would say like, man, they're a Christian. Like, they know who their father is. They know how much they're loved and how much they've been forgiven because they're just like him. If people begin identifying us with Jesus because we carry ourselves in that way, like, what an awesome thing. So may our reconciliation with one another and with the lost be the desire of our hearts. And may it display the hope of the gospel to the world around us. So we've been given a reconciliation in Jesus that gives us a better perspective of what we're owed due to our sin, which is death but an even greater appreciation for then what we've been given by grace through Jesus' work. You know, we've been given freedom and life, the ability to admit when we're wrong, to forgive those 
that have wronged us just as Jesus has done. And then we have this privilege of living life in a community with reconciled people for the glory of God, reconciling even when things are difficult and doing it quickly because there's an urgency to this life, right? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So my prayer is that we take this to heart, that we would see the hope in the gospel, that we would live, as we sang about earlier, um, identified by Jesus' precious blood, right? By precious blood identified. I love that line. Like, my identity is in Jesus now. All right, let's pray. Father, um, anger is not an easy thing for us to, to talk about and to try and deal with, but, but you give us these words of life. You give us hope in the cross. And Lord, we rest on that today. Um, we don't have a, a silver bullet to to just fix everything that's wrong with us, God. We know we're in process, but we trust that your Holy Spirit is at work in us. We trust that you're making us new day by day. So would you help us to focus on your gospel, to look on your face, to see how you've forgiven us, how you've reconciled us, how we have a new identity. God, would you convict our hearts deeply of the hatred we felt for people, of our anger. That make our hearts new. We know our hearts are deceitful. We know that they try to go their own way, that we're prone to wander away from you. But God, that's left us hopeless and lifeless and bitter. Would you restore to us just um, a, a clean heart? Would you let us um, drop our guard of the things we think we're owed or, or deserved. And will we just cling to the cross and will we hide in Jesus? Letting us freely confess um, the wrong we've done and, and the ways that we've just messed up and find our assurance in the finished work of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.